the Black Male Archives, where we capture, curate, and promote positive stories about Black men. I speak all over the country, right? I, I don't write my speeches down. I never say the same speech twice. I don't because I, I come from my stomach and my heart and how I really feel when I get my information out. With this episode today, we have a great chance to kind of talk to a person who is in training to be a pilot. Kenneth Morris from Houston, Texas, was chosen to participate in a brand new U.S. Department of Transportation called Forces to Flyers. It's a program to provide training for veterans to become commercial airline pilots. Kenneth Morris also started a nonprofit to engage more in city kids into getting into aviation. His nonprofit, Universal Elite Aerospace, has taken many inner city youth and has introduced them to aviation and becoming a pilot. So we want to hear his story, some of the hurdles that he had to overcome in order to start this organization and be in this program. Take a listen to our interview. All right. Thank you for being with us today. I am Rodney Freeman for the, from the Black Male Archives podcast, and we have a very special guest, uh, Kenneth Morris, who is the founder of Universal Elite Aerospace, and um, it's a nonprofit organization, and we just want to know more about that, but before we get into that, uh, Kenneth, again, thank you for being with us. Yeah, just tell us about your, your background and where you're from. Okay, cool. Well, you know, first of all, man, I really appreciate you even inviting me on to, you know, talk about my passion and talk about how we help young people. Uh, I'm from Houston, Texas originally, born and raised, absolutely love my city, uh, even though I had to leave, <laughs> but <laughs> I, love, I love being from Houston. Everybody in my family's from Houston originally. We're from Louisiana, okay. but absolutely love it. Um, graduated high school, went straight to the Navy. Uh, long story short, again, I don't have the typical I was born ready to fly uh, story. I was exposed to aviation uh, basically right out of high school after graduating high school, making a really high score on my exam to get into the military, which again, wasn't my first or second option. Uh, but once I scored really high, I got a chance to go down and choose the job that I wanted. An uh, aviation job was available, but it wasn't presented to me. Uh, basically, it was set to the side. So once I scored high on the exam, they suggested that I go be a cook. I asked them about the job that they didn't tell me about, which was aviation. So I involved about 90% of the people who try it fell out. So they told me to go do wow. something else. A lot of swimming, looking for submarines and flying, uh, which they didn't know a lot about. So that's how I got involved in aviation. I basically accepted the challenge. I uh, couldn't swim. So people always ask me, why'd you go to the Navy if you couldn't swim? Again, the Navy was the only people to come to my, my job for uh, recruiting. So no other branch came, uh, but it was still a blessing. Uh, I'm still thankful for the recruiter that came. He was more like a brother to me. Uh, once I got into aviation, it took off from there. Did eight years in the Navy. My last duty station was near Seattle, Washington. Uh, again, the climate was great. Got a chance to go to about 32 different countries. Uh, Japan, the Middle East, Australia, Germany, everything you think of. Wow. That was great. A lot, of, a lot of exposure to a lot of different cultures. When I got back to Houston, though, I realized that not much had changed. And if so, it had gotten worse. Uh, I grew up in Fifth Ward, and Fifth Ward is rampant with drugs and just violence, and, and just there was no hope there for the young people. So I, I'm very um, uh, versed, so to speak, in my neighborhood. I know a lot of people in my neighborhood. So one of the first things I did, I said, well, I'm going to take 
my son, who's 15 now, he mm-hmm. was 10 or 11 at the time. I took him to the airport with one of his friends. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I want to take you to the airport, put you on the plane, let you see some stuff. My son didn't really have an idea of what I did. Um, and to this day, I don't even think he does. He's 15, but <laughs> you know, it's, he's 15. Kids. Yeah, kids. So <laughs> I took him to the airport. Um, I just wanted to get a feel. I just talked to him, let him touch the plane. Cause they had, you know, I know his friend had never even seen the plane up close. So they had a good time. So the following weekend, I actually put him inside the plane. We went flying. And one of the things we do um, when we take the kids flying, we let them control the aircraft. We're in a little four-seat airplane. So that can't hurt anything. But that feeling of flying a plane, you know, you're at 3,000 feet and you turn left, the plane's turning left. Giving this kid this, this um, empowerment, so to speak, changed everything. So he went back to his school, told the teacher, hey, I, I went and flew a plane last weekend. Teachers, what they say. No, you didn't. You know, that's, you did not fly a plane. You know, that's crazy. So we did it again. This time they took pictures. They were taking selfies in the plane and so forth. Took a little video, took it back to the teacher. The teacher saw it and was blown away. And then that's when they invited me into the schools to come talk about aviation, oh, how to wow. over difficulties and so forth, seeing this one kid. So from that, I started taking smaller groups of kids. Then I started getting entire schools to come out on field trips. And that's how my entrepreneurial drive started. I would charge the school per student. Mm -hmm. And then I had free access to the airports and all the planes. So I would do a presentation, charge the school like five bucks for the kids to come, something that didn't create a huge hurdle. But then they would bring the kids to the airport. I love engaging the kids, very authentic and transparent with them. Showed them how to get into aviation, put them on the planes, and then we would take them flying maybe two or three weeks after that. And it, it was great. It was great. Wow, man. It was very powerful stuff. And then I was reading a little bit about you that you sent over an email. You, you talked a little bit about uh, in the email about being homeless. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. At the time, again, we didn't know. I was young. I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, so I was just, I thought everybody lived like this. Um, I remember being in kindergarten, as a matter of fact, we have picture day, you know, picture days when you get your nice clothes on. My sisters had their ruffled socks on and their hair combed and so forth. But I thought it was odd that we were getting dressed in the car mm-hmm. right outside of the school. Well, really to the side of the school. And we were getting dressed and um, we went into the classroom to take the pictures and I just remember my mother saying at the time, you know, don't tell anybody we're in the car because if you, they tell CPS, they're going to split you up and you won't see each other again. So I'm like, okay. So we just went in there and smiled and took the picture. We still have the picture in the family to this day. Oh, wow. Went in there and smiled and took the picture. So we didn't have a clue what was going on. So after like, literally maybe a couple hours in there, we came back, went in the car. And at that time, McDonald's was our favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Went to McDonald's and uh, my mother told me, it was a camping trip. That's how she kept referring. Oh, we're just going to be on a camping trip. But we stayed in that car. We stayed in that car. And I don't remember how long it was, but it was, it was a nice amount of time where we would just go to different relatives' house and take a shower and then come back into the car. But that's how, that's what I remember. But it wasn't a horrible time because I still had my sisters and my mother yeah. there. So it was like, okay, this must be what everybody does. But as I got older, I realized, you know, we didn't have a house to live in. We didn't have food. We didn't have any of those things. And we just made the most of what we had at the time. Wow. Wow. So you've come all the way to where you're at right now as a um, executive director and founder. Talk to us about your experience 
that you're, you know, with your program right now? And then, and then how is it being a, a black man in the aviation field? You know, originally, I think the one term you could use was lonely. <laughs> lonely first, man. I'll tell you, it was, uh, again, I started back in 98. And for the, for the longest time, I was the only one in the room. And I mean, that's even for today, to be honest with you. Yeah. If you find another African-American pilot, if you walk in the airport and you see another pilot, chances are y'all going to talk. If, if mm-hmm. on the same stuff you on, y'all going to talk. Hey, man, how you doing, brother? Good yep. seeing you. Let's exchange numbers. You you on social media? Let's follow each other. That's the yep. newest thing right now. Um, that we're more open and we're more emotionally intelligent. It's okay to compliment this brother. You know that's that's where the pilots are now. But again, originally it was quite lonely. Mm. Um, we're changing that narrative. But when I started my organization, um, and actually I started it November twelfth, two thousand thirteen. So eleven, twelve, thirteen. That was the day I launched. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was great. Got a lot of good, again, I know a lot of people in Houston. So I was able to get on the radio. I was able to get on TV. I was able to get to the airports. I know the mayor personally. So it was, and it was no money. I didn't get any um, grants or anything. It was just grassroots, hard nose, being out in the community, going to different events. Yeah. Started that, we had about 25,000 students come through the program in about five years. Oh, wow. So, yep, 25,000. We so we'd go to the schools. So needless to say, <laughs> I would be out, you know, I'm in my flight suit, so I would be out in um, Walmart and kids, hey, you came to my school, you know, and that, that's really rewarding to me because that lets me know that they remembered something, you know, mm-hmm. it could be the worst neighborhoods, but they remembered, you know, this black guy coming to their school who talked about aviation and it was cool. And you know what I'm thinking about it. So again, that was great. Did that for six years. Um, my next transition was to become the director of education for a $40 million brand new flying museum in Houston. So okay. I was, yep. So I was the director of education there for two years. I was the first African-American they hired in 30 years since they started. Oh, so wow. there had never been another minority that worked there. I was the first one and I worked directly under the CEO who was a three-star general in the air force not long ago. So he was right up there at the president basically. Mm-hmm. And he came back to run this museum and I was his first choice. Uh, just with my experience and so forth in Houston. And it was a great time. I absolutely loved it. Um, absolutely. It was a flying museum. So we flew World War II aircraft around Houston, let people who wanted to fly on them, they could pay. And you could fly on a bomber or whatever the case, a steerman. And it was great. The museum is still there. And currently, um, I'm actually in a program now just north of Dallas where I am um, going through the pipeline to be a commercial airline pilot. Mm-hmm. So getting into aviation is pretty expensive. The, yeah. the, usually the largest barrier is money uh, for anybody. It's okay. going to be 80 grand or $100,000. And you're going to get it school loans or scholarships, usually one way or the other. So with me, I've been blessed um, to get a $80,000 scholarship through the Department of Transportation, basically, for me to basically fly all day and train all day. Yeah. Whereas have to work a job nine to five and then come home and train on the weekends. Right. Just train all day. I absolutely love it. You know, and yeah. uh, that's currently what I'm doing now. So I went from my own, my own nonprofit being a director of education for again, a brand new $40 million flying museum in Houston for two years. And I've been in this uh, commercial airline pilot training program, this accelerated program uh, since December actually, but I absolutely love it. It's, it's been great. 
That's that's awesome. So so have you faced and you you talked you talked about you talked about this a little bit, but have you faced any hurdles because of you being a black man in this field, uh, getting your 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 nonprofit off the ground or getting into uh, the, the training um, program? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I, again, I didn't realize it then because I was in the moment. You know, you say they say you can't see the forest or the trees, and mm-hmm. so. I'm in the moment, so I didn't realize it. But then as I stepped away, you know, mm. there were marks. Um, I, I remember distinctly on one flight, uh, we were overseas, uh, basically. We weren't in the Middle East, but we were overseas somewhere else. I can't remember exactly where it was. And we were talking about different languages. We had a few people on the plane that spoke different languages. I think we were going towards Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh, pilot in command at the time, again, I'm the only African-American on there. They say, okay, well, this person can speak French. This person can speak Germany. And say, Hey, Morris, in, in, you know, do you speak any other language? Do you speak Ebonics? And I'm like, you know, and, I, and I, at the yeah. time I'm 19. So I'm thinking Ebonics, ha, 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 it's a joke. But as I became a man, I realized, brother, like, you couldn't say that to me now in my 40-year-old body. Yeah. <laughs> I speak Ebonics. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a completely different conversation. Right. So at time, you know, I was stereotyped and, um, and then it is true. You really have to be three to five times better than your counterpart. Mm-hmm. That, that is true. If anybody tells you differently, I, I, they're probably experiencing something totally different than the 99% of us. But, you know, sometimes it's, you know, hidden in those little messages. Mm-hmm. And then time now with the hiring, you know, oh, you only got hired because you're African-American, mm-hmm. you know. Not knowing you you worked so hard, you're studying so hard, you're flying as much as your best. But um, yes, those stereotypes are there, and I've had to overcome them. I've heard of similar stories, uh, and that's what's good about our network. We share stories. Hey, man, this happened to you? Yeah, this happened to you. Well, keep your head up, brother. This is what I did to overcome this. If you need to talk about anything, call me. Let's figure this out together. But so I know it's not just me, but it's so few of us. Mm-hmm. It's just you know, it's not. It's, you don't see it publicly, put it like that. But there are hurdles um, just being an African-American male that everybody probably wouldn't see unless you're in the midst of it. Right. And then what keeps you push? What keeps you going? Then what's, what's your what's your motivation uh, behind the, doing this and just, you know. Yeah. I, for me personally, I, I feel like if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? I mean, if I don't want to. I know our young people need it. And it's not just for kids. I mean, it's actually, I engage the adults to their parents. Mm-hmm. If I don't do this, I've seen other people that have attempted and it's just not authentic. It's not transparent and it's not consistent. That's the biggest thing that I, I have the, the issues with. So I was like, okay, I see the problem. I'm, I'm going to do it. Cause I, I'm not liking the way it's being done. I'm not liking the lack of honesty and transparency. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. And when I did it my way, like I've, I speak all over the country, right? I, I don't write my speeches down. I never say the same speech twice. I don't because I, I come from my stomach and my heart and how I really feel when I give my information out. So it's not um, some scripted lines that you'll ever hear from me. So that's what keeps me going because I've had people come up, young people and parents, letting me know how much they appreciate the information and the, the empowerment and the sense of, their hope being restored, that there are opportunities out there. Uh, again, this is a short conversation we're having, but when I get my presentations in schools, or I, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I'm pretty open. I'll show them pictures of my mugshot, you know, compared to where I'm at now. 
people don't know that I had a really rough upbringing. And if you've seen where I came from to where I'm at now, it's extremely hard to believe, but it's, it's done. And I just want to give other people hope. So that's why I continue pushing the way I do. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we, we've had this, this conversation. Uh, what other, are you doing any other uh, things around Houston? Any other talks uh, that you want the listeners to know about? And then where, where can they fo- follow you? Okay. Well, um, currently I'm, I'm in, I'm just north of Dallas at the moment going through this accelerated flight training program. Um, I'll be, I go back and forth to Houston, maybe once every three to four weeks. Um, currently because I'm in the program and it takes up a lot of my time, I'm not doing as many, um, mm-hmm. public speaking engagements, mm-hmm. but as soon as this training ends, that's my, my focus is to get that momentum back. Okay. Uh, in the meantime though, I mean, I'm always accessible via social media or internet, uh, um, email, I'm sorry. Uh, so my social media page uh, for Instagram, it's just Mr. Dot Kenneth Dot Morris, and on Twitter, it's just Mr. Kenneth Morris. And if anybody wants to email me or ask me any questions, or I mean, I'm via phone as well. Uh, my email address is just CEO Charlie Echo Oscar at Universal Elite Dot Org. U N I V E R S A L E L I T E Dot O R G. But you know, I'm accessible and just want to help any way I can, you know, with information or guidance or any kind of mentorship if possible. Mr. Kenneth Morris, thank you again for being on the Black Male Archives where we highlight positive stories about black men, which you are definitely one. Um, and again, I'm thankful for you being on this this interview and thank you for your time. Yeah, definitely, man. Like I said, I, I, hopefully this ain't our last time talking, man. Let's keep in touch and uh, anything we can do to you know, inspire these young people. I'm all for it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Will do.